When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to FN Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. Mr. Ainsworth, I hope that Thanksgiving treated you well, sir, especially now that you're <laughs> newly married. So how did that work out? <laughs> oh, Thanksgiving is great. Left very full, uh, watched a three-fourths of a good Cowboys game and one-fourth of a really bad Cowboys game. <laughs> so that was... Oh, we'll be talking about the Cowboys. That won't be a problem. A Thanksgiving <laughs> tradition unlike any other. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and jump into Gold Stars. Uh, we'll start with the positive. Uh, I'll give a Gold Star... <laughs> to the U.S. Women's National Team in soccer. So they played their first game in almost nine months. They played against the Netherlands. The Netherlands is ranked fourth in the world. The U.S. is ranked number one in the world. The U.S. won the game 2-0. Rose Lavelle scored an incredible goal. So like when I say bend it like Beckham, if you're a soccer person that means something, that's her goal. <laughs> she scored one of those. So shout out to the U.S. Women's National Team doing their thing. 
Um, hopefully, they'll bring home another World Cup. I think we got the Olympics in, well, we'll see. Hopefully, the Olympics will be played in 2021. We'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> you, you got a gold star for us, Mr. Rintor? Yeah, somewhat tied to soccer. Uh, my gold star goes to the story of the weekend, I think, in college football, although I, some people may disagree. Amidst Vanderbilt getting shut out on Saturday, they made history with uh, Sarah Fuller played kicker, and she did the opening kickoff. You know, since they couldn't score, she didn't do much else because she couldn't <laughs> get extra points. And they're only in field goal range. I think I counted once and fumbled. I just sat there and watched the game. <laughs> but Sarah Fuller is the women's soccer goalie at Vanderbilt, and just about a week after winning the SEC Women's Soccer Championship, she turns around and comes out and starts kicking uh, field goals, extra points, and the only thing she got to do on Saturday was the kickoff. Um, Sarah Fuller is the first woman to play in a Power 5 football game. Several other reports of, like, you know, the history of, like, a handful of women who played at different levels of college football as well before this, mostly kicking. But the first woman to play at a Power 5, she's also, like, 6'2 and has a leg. Uh, I think that she got some unfair criticism on Twitter because people don't, you know, obviously two football coaches, they very clearly were doing a squib to the right. It was obviously a squib, and they didn't know what was going on. So they're like, oh, such a bad kick. And it's like, no, that's actually what was supposed to be done. I think the coach was actually coaching her up because she put it too close to the sideline. Like, that squib's got to go up the numbers. And so it yeah. actually got too close to the sideline, and then, um, but it, you know, Missouri falls on it. It's not because that she doesn't have a leg. Any Division One women's soccer goal, they can put it in the end zone. That's not what she was trying to do. Um, but what she was doing was, if you look at the gunners down the right side, they had multiple gunner like, speed-type guys. They look at like, the numbers and positions on the right side of the field. Like you're saying, they're trying to get it inside the sideline where they could fall on it. It was not quite placed well, but that's a much more difficult kick than you'd think for a rookie kicker like herself. And so shout out to Sarah Fuller, Vanderbilt for going through with it. Um, it was a very cool moment. Uh, a lot of women watching college football on Saturday. Like, I don't know. I've never tuned in the SEC network for like a regular Vanderbilt game or anything like that. And so it got my attention. <laughs> I think it got a lot of attention across the country. So gold star to Vanderbilt and Sarah Fuller. No, absolutely. I'm used to tuning into SEC network because that's normally where Kentucky football ends up because Kentucky football, um, Kentucky football, we'll just, <laughs> uh, gold star, gold star to uh, Jared Patterson. So Jared Patterson's the running back at uh, Buffalo and that's University of Buffalo, so State University of Buffalo in New York, right? And so uh, he's the running back. He's run for over 300 yards in each of his last two games, which is nuts because we, pa- <laughs> we play passing football, right? We play seven on seven, and this dude's running for 700 yards in his last two games. So uh, he played against Kent State on Saturday. He ran for 409 yards and eight touchdowns. Like, that's my Madden numbers from back when I used video to really play game video game numbers. games. You know what I mean? Video game numbers. Like, that's the kind of game, if you have a video game performance like that, people are still saying you're cheating somehow. Like, that Absolutely. Is, that's it's like, like, good, like, you can't pick that team. Like, <laughs> you can't pick that team if you can do that. Uh, shout out to Jerry Patterson. <laughs> you got another gold star for us, Mr. Ainsworth? Yeah, I got a couple. I'm going to give one to Lou Riddick. So, Lou Riddick is a commentator in ESPN. Uh, does a lot of NFL analysis and draft coverage and stuff like that. He used to be involved in scouting with the Washington football team back when they weren't called the Washington football team. Anyway, he did a really touching bit this week. It was the anniversary of when Sean Taylor was murdered, and he did a really touching commentary about how he, you know, Sean Taylor was the first, like, dude that Riddick scouted when he was working with the Washington football team. And so he did this long bit about how, like, he really, you know, 
went all in on this guy and he sat down and talked with him. It's like, look, there are a lot of people that are going to take, not going to take a chance on you because this that, and the other thing. And I am, and here's why, and here's what you got to do. And it was, it was really interesting to talk about how, first of all, if you've never seen Sean Taylor play football because you're too young or you don't remember, um, go back and watch the highlights because he was a dude. Lou Riddick, I guess, you know, commented that he was working with Sean about turning things around. And I, I didn't realize that Riddick had, I knew Riddick had been with the Washington football team at the right time. And I, I, I just, I just never connected the dots that they were that close. Um, but Riddick did a really good job. I thought this week on ESPN about breaking down just uh, how much turning around Sean Taylor had done before, you know, things went south. No, absolutely. And Lou Riddick was a safety. So, I mean, they would right. have had a kinship, obviously, even beyond all the pieces around the draft because they played the same position. Um, so, yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, Sean Taylor was a dude, by the way. Sean Taylor was the best safety in football when he tragically lost his life stopping a robbery at his house. I mean, that dude was a monster. Right. My final gold star goes to Kaylee Brownson, who is the chief of staff for the Cleveland Browns. And so, basically, what that means is that she's kind of a coach, but not really, right? But this Sunday, she's a coach. She is going to fill in for the tight end position coach for the Cleveland Browns. So the tight end position coach for the Cleveland Browns is going to have a baby. So he's not he's not there at the gate. So Kaylee Brownson is the tight end coach, which means she's the first woman to serve as a position coach in an NFL game. So Kaylee Brownson... Right. Awesome. Like, women are just making history all over the place in terms of the sport of football. Congratulations to her. Um, I actually have the Cleveland Browns defense on my fantasy team. So let's just, <laughs> I mean, let's just go all in, Cleveland. Let's just go ahead and take care of Jacksonville. Make sure James Robinson can score a couple of touchdowns because I have him too. But we'll figure it all out. Go Kaylee Brownson. Go Cleveland. Awesome story. <laughs> my last uh, gold star goes to, I know you're normally our fight guy, but my last gold star goes to <laughs> Snoop Dogg for launching what is only his latest career in commentating. Because last night in the card of fights, I guess he really really like made his mark we all watched nate robinson get knocked out cold very quickly there for a second that could be an um, attention but, <laughs> nate robinson but, caught one yeah he caught one but anyway snoop dogg continues to excel in career after career and he is clearly talented at the commentating thing too he was hilarious he was on point he was witty uh he offered like it not insights about fighting but insights about like Ooh, let's see what happened. Like he like was on time with what he was. Had some very very funny quotables about like barbecue chicken and barbecue sauce. <laughs> anyway, very very funny. Snoop Dogg continues to impress at basically whatever he does. Um, so shout out to Snoop Dogg, Gold Star. Hope you stay in the commentating game. No, he was the perfect fan, right? Like he brought a fan perspective. Now he did actually say because I was watching a little bit of the Nate Robinson, and he was talking about how Nate Robinson is swinging, but he's not defending. So he's like, he's not getting back. And he said, hey, Sugar Ray, I'm right on that, right? And Sugar Ray Leonard, who's a <laughs> Hall of Fame boxer, is like, you're 100 percent right, actually. Yeah, you're supposed to swing it and get back. Like you. So Snoop knew a little bit. It's Snoop's been in a fight or two, I would bet. So uh, <laughs> let's jump not in. with gloves. On, though. <laughs> no, well, okay. <laughs> Snoop can't even tell you about all the fights he's been in because, like, I don't know if the statute of limitations is up. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and jump into our detentions. I'm going to give a detention to Gordon Hayward. And if you did not, if you don't follow Gordon Hayward, you should because his social media is awesome. I don't know what he did to his turkey on Thanksgiving, but it can't be called cooking it. Gordon Hayward has enough money to pay people to make the turkey. He needs to definitely hire a chef because he's not great at the cooking. Go check out his social media. Go see that bird, that poor bird, 
That poor turkey. Gordon Hayward detention. Um, just like pick up a cookbook, dude. Or fry it. Get an indoor fryer. That's what I do every year. You brine it, you fry <laughs> it, you got your turkey in half an hour. Uh, <laughs> um, what detentions do you have, Mr. Ainsworth? Um, I somewhat alluded to this earlier with my Dallas Cowboys comment, but my first detention is going to Jerry Jones. I guess we could do the whole Dallas Cowboys, but specifically Jerry for comments he's made since the embarrassing Thanksgiving Day loss. And by embarrassing, I mean like throwing pick sixes to defensive linemen. I mean, like, <laughs> fake punts on fourth and ten that go nowhere in Oh, we will territory. talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but what I, what I was getting at is that I think Jerry, most owners would see this team, they would see their starting quarterback hurt, they'd see that, you know, they're five games under 500 or whatever it is, and they'd look at this team and be like, man, this is just not the year. Except for Jerry. Jerry responds with, you know, we were really just a few plays away. And Jerry... <laughs> The quote was a few plays away. You were a few touchdowns away from, from the, any kind the of a final, game. The final was 41-16, right? Wasn't that the final? 41-16. few touchdowns away. And further, it's not like Washington is winning the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> like, like you're, you're not like four or five touchdowns away from the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. You're four or five touchdowns away from an also under 500 Washington football team that has no name and is playing Alex Smith at quarterback. They're a few plays away from being a few plays away from being a few plays away from being a few plays away. They're very, very <laughs> far away. To be fair, to be fair, the Washington football team leads the NFC East, which means that they're going to get a home playoff game. If the season ended today, they'd have a home playoff game. So they're only a few well, plays away from winning the division. Um, it's not his fault that the division is what it is. There's a few more NFC East games that happen today, so we'll see. <laughs> the, the, the second thing is, though, like, let's not knock Alex Smith. That's the NFL comeback play of the year. We love, we, well, Alex Smith knows we love him. He's gotten plenty of gold stars from us. So, um, just shout out to Alex Smith. But, uh, detention to the whole state of Texas. And, <laughs> the, no, because seriously, fake punts, guys, don't do it, okay? The reason why you run a fake punt is because you have obviously practiced it and have dudes who can execute it. No one in the state of Texas has proven to me that they know how to execute a fake punt. The Dallas Cowboys, that was an awful attempt at a fake punt on a fourth and whatever, backed up. Like, that wasn't even the right place to run it. And then the University of Texas runs their fake punt, and basically, that's the momentum play that gives Iowa State the win. <laughs> so, right. uh, between the Dallas Cowboys and the University of Texas, which, I mean, arguably are the two flagship football programs in the state of Texas, no one can run a fake punt. Therefore, in the state of Texas, fake punt should be banned. Just put your offense on the field. <laughs> like, you actually have good offensive players if you're the University of Texas. And if you're the Cowboys, you're playing against the Washington football team, who's not very good. You should, if you're going to go for it, you should be able to run a play that'll get you the yardage. Guys, if you aren't really practicing these fake punts, don't roll them out there. You look like an idiot. Detention to everyone in Texas calling fake punts. So, <laughs> Steph Curry was very, very openly support. We keep alluding this fight last night as we recorded on Sunday between Jake Paul and Nate Robinson because it was the funniest fight of the night for sure. Um, Nate Robinson was out there in front of before the game time. He was doing this for his brothers in the NBA and represent athletes in the NBA and how like NBA was tough guys and this that and the other that, that. and then he goes he gets knocked the bleep out like he just gets knocked out cold. And he got and Steph Curry he got deboned completely. <laughs> That's a funny reference. Um, the anyway, so Steph Curry before the fight is like. 
oh yeah, do it for us. We got your back. Da da da. And afterwards, it's like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like no, no, no. You don't get to do that stuff. Like I, I, I've given you plenty of gold stars before, Steph. I think people think I hate you when I really don't. But here's the deal, Steph. Is when you say you're with this guy, you are with it through thick and thin. You're gonna change teams like a front running bandwagon right here. Like just because you got knocked that, come on. Like that you don't get to do. You don't get to back off of in your comment tweeting. You know, under threads with Rachel Nichols until like backing backing down from your earlier position like when he was for the nba you were all for it and when he was knocked out you were all not and that's not a good look step especially <laughs> especially for a skinny guy that can't get in the ring yourself like, like it's not Larry not says, a good look steph curry will take jake paul on the golf course like bring it chumpzilla like <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness um our podcast this week we'll talk college football playoff we'll talk college basketball and we'll talk uh gonzaga whether or not this is finally going to be their year and then we'll talk Denver Broncos, and if they should actually just forfeit rather than playing the game this Sunday. <laughs> um, without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings, our first thesis for the week is about college football and the college football playoff rankings, which are out now. The thesis reads, the college football playoff committee got their initial rankings for 2020 correct. You hear that and you say what, Mr. Cummings? I say C because there's some A stuff and there's some F stuff. And the F stuff is really irritating to me. So I'm going to go C. Uh, how do you grade this one, Mr. Ainsworth? I'm probably higher than you in that I give it a B. I'll just, I'll just say B to stay in the B range. Uh, there's some stuff I have an issue with in their ranking, but I see what they were doing in a lot of places, so I can't like flunk it or anything like that. All right, Mr. Cummings, you classic seesawed this one where you want some A stuff and some F stuff and so sad at a C. So talk to me about what those A stuffs and F stuffs are. Here's the thing. The A stuff, you're going to go over, and I'm going to agree with you because the A stuff is obvious. The F stuff is what really, really bothers me. And there's there's a couple of things. One, let's start with BYU, my team, right? I, I might as well be a Mormon <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> BYU is undefeated at 9-0, and tried to get a game against Washington this Saturday because Washington's game got canceled. The Apple Cup got canceled because Washington State has COVID issues. So BYU's trying to play whoever, whenever. They'll play anybody, any place, anytime. And all they've done is beaten everyone on their schedule like a drum. So, like, if you want to knock their schedule, I understand that to a certain extent. But they're also beating everyone on their schedule the way that they should if you think that the people on their schedule are weak and if you think that they're good. So in other words, would you knock Alabama for doing the same thing that BYU is doing? Which is, they're just beating everyone on their schedule like a drum and the teams on their schedule, most folks think, are weaker, right? So if Alabama did the same thing against the schedule, I don't think Alabama would get knocked. Which is what's frustrating about BYU. BYU... If you want to say that their schedule is weak, I understand that, but they're beating people by 50 points every week. They're not right. playing close games. The best team that they played was Boise State, and they beat them like a drum. In Boise. On that Smurf turf. So Go it frustrates me when you have them at 14. Because when you have them at 14, they're saying you don't respect at all what they've done. How do you have two lost Iowa State ahead of BYU? BYU on a neutral field beats Iowa State. You have two lost Oklahoma. BYU on a neutral field beating Oklahoma this year, okay? Northwestern goes and wets the bed last night against Michigan State, loses, right? Um, it's frustrating to me because it feels like you're not respecting what BYU has done. Another frustration that I have is Cincinnati at 7. 
And the reason why Cincinnati is seven is frustrating to me is because I think that the general consensus is that we respect Cincinnati. We actually look at them and say that what they've done versus their schedule, because we respect the teams in their schedule a little bit more than the ones that are on BYU's schedule, like we, we think Cincinnati is legit. But then you put them in this position where they're out of the top six. So it's going to be very difficult for them to climb into the four to make the playoff, which I do think, based on what's happening in 2020, there's a very logical path for Cincinnati to get into the playoff. That being said, if you start getting some unanticipated losses, the school that's going to get left out of this thing is Cincinnati. So in other words, let's say Florida plays Alabama in the SEC championship game. Florida has one loss. Alabama is undefeated. If Florida beats Alabama, you're probably taking both of them. You're going to take the two SEC teams that each have one loss. And now you have the ACC de facto play-in game between uh, Notre Dame and Clemson. There's a definitive possibility that Clemson plays Notre Dame close, and maybe you take both of them. Now, Ohio State's in there, so it's a very good chance you're going to take Ohio State. But Ohio Ohio State has their own issues, right? Because they now have to play every game to be eligible for the Big Ten Championship game that's left on their schedule because they've already missed two games. They've had two games canceled due to COVID. So Ohio State's going to be an interesting deal. That's another thing that's frustrating to me because the committee comes out and says that Ohio State, with their four wins, deserves to be in the top four, but then says that Oregon doesn't have enough of a resume and Oregon played three games. What's the difference? Four and three? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to say that uh, Oregon doesn't have enough of a sample then Ohio State at four games doesn't really have enough of a sample either. So to look at those two and treat them so differently, now here's what happens, right? Oregon loses the game used to be called the Civil War. They don't call it that anymore. But Oregon loses to Oregon State, right? And so now you look at that game, you're like, well, Oregon maybe wasn't that good. Um, I think that Oregon State's actually better than people realize. Oregon has some issues. That being said, Oregon now has the same number of games played as Ohio State. Is Ohio State going to drop out of the top four? Because they don't have enough of a sample size. It was the same excuse you used for Oregon last week. So I want to know what's going to happen to Ohio State this week. Anyway, the F stuff is what really bothers me. Because to me, the A stuff makes a lot of sense, right? And so I'm going to leave the A stuff for you to tell everyone because <laughs> it all makes sense, and then I'll try to calm down over here. <laughs> well, I will say I didn't give it an A. I gave it a B because I see some of what you're talking about. I think my biggest problems don't actually stem in the top four, and that's why I wasn't quite as low as you are. My problems come in the five through 15 area, right? And, like, theoretically, that those teams, if, like, it all ended at the first ranking, right, if it all was just over, those teams, it wouldn't, wouldn't matter because they wouldn't be in it, right? Um, but as I look at the top 25 as a whole, I do see the same issues with you as BYU. I don't get how you can favor BYU versus Cincinnati or vice versa. If anything, it's like you're saying BYU is has one more win and is beating teams like they're supposed to. Cincinnati has one more win against a ranked team, but their wins are much closer. Like the UCF game is 36-33, right? Army was 24-10, whereas BYU was supposed to play Army, but it got postponed because of COVID. But they're beating teams like Western Kentucky 41 to 10, right? Uh, 66 to 14 down here, 55 to 3. Like they're, they're beating teams like they ought to, like the same way you would expect an Alabama to if Alabama went through the schedule. Um, they, you know, they're sitting guys late in the game like an Alabama would. They're doing the exact same thing and putting up the exact same types of scores. You know, their closest game was at Houston, or I got 
UTSA and at Houston was back to back weeks. They went twenty seven to twenty and then forty three twenty six, which is like that's a handful of teams are like good mid major type schools, right? Those are good teams. Um, what I what I will say though is that the reason I gave this a B and not a C and certainly not an F is I look at the top four and Alabama at seven and zero, number one, Notre Dame at eight and zero. Number two, I have no problem with either one of those, right? Um, Alabama is as good as advertised. Notre Dame looks to be as good as advertised. Clemson at seven and one. I don't mind being in the top four because we all know that one, if we, these are people doing this, not computers doing this, we know that one is an overtime loss to Notre Dame without their starting quarterback. Like, yes, that is a loss, but it's not the same as losing to Florida State or something like that, right? And then Ohio State at 4-0 is the interesting one to me because I think when you look at their talent and when you look at like the guys on their roster from a year ago or whether, you know, the five-star recruits at high school and so on, like everyone understands that they are talented. They also beat a top 10 team in Indiana, right? It's just unfortunate that it looks like that things are happening out of their control between games like the Maryland game getting canceled, the Illinois game getting canceled. They've now got to, like you said, play at Michigan State and Michigan and can't have either one of those games get taken off their record or get taken out or else they miss the Big Ten championship game. I think it would be more interesting, though, Shaka, because this is picked by people if, say, the Michigan State game next weekend gets taken off. You're going to make me lose my mind. You're going to make me lose what my I, mind. I know where you're going, what's but I'm going to lose be, my mind. What's going to be interesting is because they're clearly talented when you watch them play, and this is decided by people, what do the people favor? Because they'd be ineligible to win the Big Ten. They're like, Justin Fields has been one of the most vocal guys about getting to play the season in general, right? Like, they are like one of those teams that is the focal point for like, let us play. And they're in the Big Ten, which was one of the last conferences to let people play, right? If they were to go 5-0 and with some convincing wins, but not be eligible for the Big Ten Championship, would that be enough to be in this top four? I don't think I personally could do it, but it's going <laughs> to say a lot. It's going to say a lot about what the college football playoff committee will go with. You know that and, the CFP head is an athletic director from the Big Ten. It's Iowa's right. athletic director. Ohio State's well, going to make it in your scenario. There's no way he can go back to his conference and say, Ohio State didn't make it. Well, and the unfortunate thing there will be is that you're looking at a BYU that could be literally twice as good in their record at 10-0. Just with the way things play out, like BYU could have done everything they were supposed to do, go 10-0, win a bunch of games by 40, and it doesn't matter. You, and don't, that's even have to, you don't even have to leave, like, the state. Cincinnati would be, right. I mean, by the time it's all said and done, we're assuming wins, obviously, but we have already assumed that a game won't be played. Cincinnati could also be in the same boat of being 10-0, and 0, literally twice as many wins in the same right. state. Well, and so they'll have to do a, they'll have to like, they're already making up a game against Tulsa on the 12th, and that is a ranked game. Tulsa's currently 25th. And uh, good. Tulsa's next... good if you watch them. They can play. Yeah. And so that would be an impressive win. And frankly, there are some people that might tell you it's more impressive than Ohio State beating Michigan to end their season. So, you know, um, <laughs> I just I, I worry that you're going to get to this point where and we've talked about this throughout this college football season. But is this the year that a small school gets in the college football playoff and has a chance and it's set up for them to have that chance, except the people in charge are clearly not giving them <laughs> that chance because Cincinnati is behind one loss A&M and one loss Florida. I can tell you right now, I watched AM and Florida both play yesterday as I sat on my couch doing various things throughout the day, 
and I wasn't like super impressed. Well, let me tell you this. One of them. Let me tell you this. If Florida plays Ohio State, they're beating Ohio State. Ohio State's secondary is awful. And it's it's crazy because they have guys in their secondary that if you just looked at them objectively based on their their high school resume, what you would expect from them from their athletic measurables, it is stunning how bad Ohio State secondary is. This is why Michael Penix was able to tear them apart the week prior. Not Also because Indiana is good, right? I mean, if, Indiana, I was giving that credit to Indiana because they no, are good. Absolutely, but Ohio State secondary is not good. So it's a combination of those two things that allows Indiana. Indiana's down like 28 in that game, and they're able to come back. They're able to come back because Ohio State secondary is so questionable. And I think that if Florida plays Ohio State on a neutral field, they're – They've got no one on Ohio State who could cover Kyle Pitts. There's no one who could cover that dude. That He's the tight end for Florida. He's incredible. Um, he's one of these tight ends that moves like a wide receiver, but is as big as Gronk. Like, so he's incredible. Right. The next generation of tight end. Like yeah, the next absolutely. generation of and that guy. Florida rolls them dudes out. Florida's got five of them dudes. Not They're not all tight ends. They just got five receivers, and they'll just roll them and guys out, man. Last week we talked about they have a Heisman hopeful quarterback, too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, anyway, Ohio State for me is a, a, a frustration. Number one, I don't objectively look at them and say they're one of the four best teams necessarily. I think they're one of the four best offenses. I think they're questionable as the fourth best team. Like, even though Clemson has a loss, and in my mind I want to dock Clemson for the loss because I only want one ACC team in there. If you were to say to me, we're going to take two SEC teams and two ACC teams and just play this thing off, I kind of get it. Because the two SEC teams, I would assume Florida would beat Alabama, and then you're going to take Alabama and Florida, and that makes sense to me. I would assume that Clemson beats Notre Dame, and now you're going to take Clemson and Notre Dame, and that kind of makes sense to me that those four teams might be the four best teams in the country. Ohio State could go undefeated through the rest of their schedule and still not impress me. Michigan State lost to Rutgers to start the season. Michigan State's not a great team. Now, Michigan State did beat Northwestern yesterday, but to me, that just tells you about the the level of competition in the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten traditionally goes into the year as one of the best conferences. I actually think that they might have been slightly overrated this year. That's why Penn State can't win a game until they play Michigan, who also can barely win games. This is why Wisconsin, who was supposed to be a top-10 team, can't score on Northwestern. Right, so to me, the Big Ten slightly overrated. I just think it's funny that you just glossed over really quickly that you have Florida beating Alabama when Alabama did your Kentucky guys sixty-three to three a couple weeks ago. No, listen, uh, like, I, I don't think that Florida will beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. But what I'm doing is painting the scenario where you take right, two SEC right. teams and two ACC teams because I don't think that A and M can go. A and M got blitzed by Alabama when they played them. So if A and M goes through their whole schedule, they won't get to the SEC championship game. So to me, they can't get in. But Florida right, will would, get in. They would need some way to redeem that. They would need Alabama. Bama to lose. They would need Bama, and, and they, Bama just yeah. won the Iron Bowl. Bama's their next game is LSU. Bama's not losing. LSU, and LSU is not the same LSU as they no, were. No, lots, no, lots of pro skill guys, you know, graduated and so on, and that that's not the same LSU team. Um, I guess so. I gave it a little bit higher grade than you did because. Maybe it's because I, I see this Ohio State thing working in their favor, like you alluded to the fact that you know they have some sway in the CFP committee. I, I guess I really have more of an issue in the 5 through 15, not the 1 through 4. And so that was why I was giving it a B and not a C or a D or an F. 
as I look at this, like in the five through 15, I would put BYU up there with or ahead of Cincinnati. I think I would put one of them in the mix there with Florida and A&M, not like trailing them. I wouldn't have both small schools trailing both big schools there. Uh, I also, like you're saying, in the first ranking, think Oregon deserved as good a shot as maybe not Ohio State, but up there in the top 10 as well because they had done everything they were supposed to do. They've lost since then, so that's going to look like a bad take. But Indiana, well, I think... it's you the know, same Louisiana- thing. Like I think Northwestern should have been higher ranked as well, but now they've lost, and so now it's a bad right. take. But in terms of what their resume had been up to that point, it would seem like you'd give them a little more respect. But I, I guess I can't knock it. They're giving the SEC the ultimate respect. That's why the SEC has three teams in the top six, right? Well, and that... Three teams in the top six, but as you alluded to, really, you're looking at maybe two get a shot at the top four. Like, it's one, maybe two. Um, I I always have a problem when it's a four-team playoff and you pick two teams from the same conference because I'm like, then what was the point of playing that conference championship game? Because, again, with how many college football teams there are, there's no way to get to play all of the top teams every season the same way that there would be in other sports just because there are just so many Division One schools. But I, like, if... Alabama plays Florida and Florida wins. It's hard to imagine a top fourth out of Alabama, but I just I hate the idea of seeing two when it's only four school only four schools get to go. That there's somehow that, two that's why we had the take a few weeks ago that they should go ahead and just open up the college football playoffs this year. They should be taking eight teams. If they would just take eight teams this year, they would actually solve some of their issues. Then you could take two teams from a conference. Then Clemson and Notre Dame could get in. You could take two SEC teams. You could uh, anyway. You get a lot less pushback on taking Ohio State too, you, because for sure. it'd almost be it'd be understandable to be like, you know what, they didn't control a lot of their season, but they are very good football teams. They're in the top eight, and throw as the group opposed of, to throw the group of five a bone. You could throw the group of five right. a bone. I mean, if you don't think the BYU is that good, put them in. Let Alabama blitz them. Then you'd be well, surprised. That's, that's been both of our both of our take the whole time. It's been like if you don't think they're that good, then beat them because I think they are. But that's us. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... You're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Mr. Ainsworth, it is college basketball time. And as someone who lives in Lexington, Kentucky, oh, this is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Let's talk a little college basketball. Let's talk about 2020, and let's talk about Gonzaga in particular. The thesis statement reads, 2020 is the year for Gonzaga to shock the college basketball world. 
by winning the national championship. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How do you grade that thesis statement? I want to give it a B plus. Uh, I'm not fully committed to giving it an A, but 2020 has been a weird year, so why not? Uh, B plus. What do you think, Mr. <laughs> 2020 has been a weird year. I'm thinking B minus, C plus. It's more about, there's a lot of good teams in college basketball. So there's a lot of parity. So, but Gonzaga is pretty darn good. I think I'm going to settle out at a B minus. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we could be a WWE tag team from the 1980s. Killer Bees. I think you went B plus. (laughs) I went B minus. The thesis statement, 2020 is the year for Gonzaga to shock the college basketball world by winning the national championship. Talk to me about why you are just a little bit higher on Gonzaga than I am. So I think as I look at them, and maybe it's because, you know, uh, the Drew time is from around here in the DFW, but I really, I look at (laughs) Gonzaga as a team with some older guys, some upperclassmen, as they always do, as the mid-major in the dance, right? And I also look at it as, much like we did the college football thesis about could a smaller school make the top four you know we did that months ago it feels like now i kind of feel the same way about this in the sense that 2020 is going to be unpredictable at these big schools like the baylors and the kansases and the dukes and even your kentucky wildcats of the world right and so if we get to the big dance like you play two games in a weekend unless they do something dramatically different except that let's say that your starting guard tests positive before right before that happens or was exposed right before that happens so, so then you've got to go through your weekend all of a sudden, even though it's the first and second round without your bell cow. And that's a possibility for all the teams, Gonzaga included. But I think weirdly that having a older team like a Gonzaga's got um, with less of the five-star one-and-done type freshman than most schools typically. Although I think they've got Gonz- one. They've got one. And I think that's you know unique for Gonzaga, but they do have one. I, I think that the deal for them is more to me that those kinds of things line up for a weird year so I give it a B plus because I'm like, they're always in the mix. So like, why not? Right? Like, why not a Gonzaga type year? It's more that than like some confirmation that they're clearly head and shoulders better than everybody. It's like they're in the mix and this year is going to be a weird one. No, that's uh, true. They are deep. Right. And so depth, depth should matter. I'll also say that it is a dangerous precedent, but it looks like in the last few days that they may not care about these COVID protocols in the same <laughs> way that some of the big conferences do. And so... While that's not something I morally agree with, and I'm, you know, that's one of the reasons I didn't want to give an A is I'm not going to sit here and support someone that's doing all those kinds of things that seems reckless and dangerous. It might mean that their guys play more games. And as unfortunate as way to do it as that is, that kind of plays into their wins and losses favor if you're better, right? And so that's I'm looking at them as more of a why not them, and I gave it a B plus instead of an A because I don't have like concrete like of course they're the best team in basketball, but I, they certainly could be. And it's a weird year. So, like, they could end up getting lucky and playing someone in the Sweet 16 without their five-star future NBA-type guy. And that's I'm, I said, I'm riding with them for a little bit, I think. No, I mean, that makes sense. They also are guard-driven, which guard-driven team. Corey Crisper is one of the best players in the country. When you watch him, he's a playmaker-shooter. Um, quick story. So, they're, they're one-and-done possible guys. A guy by the name of Jalen Suggs, who I know. So Jalen Suggs, oh, Suggs was a point guard at Minnehaha Academy in uh, Minnesota. He was also the quarterback on a football team that combined three different private schools because no single school had enough to field a football team. So these three came together 
and formed a team. And that team would play games at the field for the school that I was working at at the time. So I was actually the announcer for the football team. And so every Friday I would say, and Jalen Suggs is your quarterback. He was incredible. There is no reason why he's not playing college football except he doesn't want to. He's, I remember he had offers from Nebraska and stuff to play both. So he's that kind of an athlete. He's an incredible player. Gonzaga has a lot of good players, right? For me, the reason why I went B-minus is even with Gonzaga having the collection of good players that they have, there's just too many good teams. And these good teams are going to play better competition throughout their season. Now, Gonzaga beat Kansas to open the season. I also know that the there's some value in those opening wins, but sometimes there isn't. Because by the time you get to March, you're a very different team than you were in November. Just in looking at their schedule, they play Baylor on the 5th, and then they have no other team currently ranked on their schedule. They play Iowa, because I'm sorry, later in December. That's going to matter. The- Iowa's a good team. That's going to matter. But, and that's a big guy versus their guards. But... That's the last ranked team currently on their schedule. Now, St. Mary's, is... Mary's will give them hell because St. Mary's always gives them hell. It's a rivalry, and they and you know St. Mary's might get in the top twenty-five and might, but as of today, I, I, I don't think so. If you've seen St. Ma- I saw St. Mary's play against Memphis. St. Mary's is not as good as they have been. Oh, I'm just again opening up to awareness of 2020. But I'm saying as looking at their schedule today, their Tennessee game got canceled. Their West Virginia game and Baylor games are in the next week. And then they don't play another. They play one more ranked team the rest of the season, and that means they'll probably have a lot of wins and get a high seed going into the tournament. And that also should play in their favor, right? Yeah, the Baylor game is going to be tough. Baylor is as good a team as we have in the country. So, what I know about the NCAA tournament is that the NCAA tournament tends to be guard driven, and Jared Butler and Macy Oteague are two of the best guards in the country. Jared Butler is very likely a lottery pick when he's ready to come out. Um, I'm surprised that. Neither one of them came out. They both came back to Baylor, which is crazy, right? Because yeah. it's Waco, Texas. You could have like gotten drafted, whatever. Um, they obviously like Chip and Joanna Gaines. Um, I, if I'm them, like I go pro. But uh, Baylor's a good team. You talked about uh, Iowa. Iowa has probably the favorite for. Pick. I mean, probably the favorite for National Player of the Year, right? So if you haven't seen Luca Garza, Luca Garza scored 24 and 10. Last year, that was his averages. There's no reason he didn't come out in the draft. He could have come out. He chose to go back to Iowa. So what Iowa now has, their entire starting five is back, including the dude who's probably going to win player of the year in Luca Garza. So they have a team that has guards that are veterans as well as this big dude anchoring the middle. And a team like Baylor, it's not that Baylor doesn't have a big, but Baylor's big dude is probably going to be Mark Vital, who's like, I think he's 6'5". And he's about 240, so he's he's like a Draymond Green kind of big, where he can play defense and he can annoy you, but he's not... Luka, nobody's stopping Luca Garza. So that that's no, an... The, <laughs> the, Baylor, the Baylor bigs are going to throw at him are not experienced, like, high-minute type guys. It's no, like they're just going to throw a bunch it. of them at him and know that they have a bunch of yeah. fouls to give, essentially. Right? They'd rather run you up and down than do any of that. But and I guess you could, theoretically, like you talked about guards run the tournament, you could run an Iowa out of the gym, but... The truth is, is that he, I mean, Luca Garza is not only, if I think he's, a, you know, he'll be the first big taken in the next, next summer's draft. And that, while bigs are not valued as, like, you know, five years ago, Wiseman would have been the no question number one pick and said he's the number two pick. They're slowly losing 
value in the NBA draft, I still think he's a top whatever pick. No, Luca Garza is a good player. Let me just say, Evan Mobley is the first big to get taken in the draft, but we can talk about that. That's a thesis statement we'll, for another we'll do, time. Yeah, we'll do that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, Virginia, another good team. Now, Virginia lost. So when I say this, it's going to be like, oh, whatever. But they got the kid from Marquette, Sam Hauser, who can score. And Virginia is going to have a little bit more offense than what people are used to. And when they start doing that pack line defense, right, they got Kihei Clark, who was on the national championship team. Like, they got guys in Virginia who can play. And we'll see what happens with Kansas. We'll see what happens with Tennessee. We'll see what happens with Illinois. Some of these teams that they, I think that they have, to, they have to come together a little bit before I buy wholesale into them. A couple of teams that I'll buy into right away, though, I'll buy into Villanova every day and twice on Sunday because that's a team that always gets better as the season goes. And so that's one of those teams that Gonzaga – I think has an air when they show up to gyms. Villanova don't care about your air. <laughs> Villanova right. shows up and they got their own air, including Jay Wright, who in my opinion is the best prospect to go from college basketball to coach pros. I, it, I wonder if the 76ers reached out to Jay Wright to say, hey, would you consider? Now they ended up with Doc Rivers, so they ended up doing okay. But, they did uh, fine. They did fine, absolutely. But uh, Villanova consistently puts guys in the NBA and consistently has a good team. And friends, let me give you the homer take. By the time this season <laughs> is wrapping up in March, Kentucky right now, they got a gel. Kentucky, and this, I was saying this to Mr. Ainsworth off pod, Kentucky's better when they have a few guys who come back to mix in with the collection of freshmen that they have. But this year... Almost everyone went pro. The only guy who came back who played any meaningful minutes is Keon Brooks, who's injured right now, which means you're not going to see the best of Kentucky right now. You're going to see the best of Kentucky in March. So if we get to February, March, and Kentucky's playing 500 ball, then Kentucky's not a very good team. But Kentucky, it's very unlikely that's going to happen. The freshman talent that they have. B.J. Boston's a top five pick. Terrence Clark, he's, he's a lottery pick. Uh, you got Isaiah Jackson. You have the, the kid, Olivier Saar, who transfers in from Wake Forest, really filled the hole that Kentucky had. Kentucky really didn't have a true center. Olivier Saar is a seven-footer who Wake Forest is building their whole team around, and then he transferred out because they fired Danny Manning, and so Danny Manning was his guy, right? And so Olivier Saar coming to Kentucky actually gives Kentucky – you know, they're not going to be a donut team. Kentucky's got a lot of talent. The question is, when do these young guys start to play well? If they're playing well by March, they're one of these teams that, just like Gonzaga, like they're deep. They're stupid deep. So, like, COVID right. might not hurt them the same way that it might hurt some other teams come March. And well, that's, that's going to affect a lot of teams this year. Again, I, I went with a B-plus for Gonzaga because, like you said, they're deep. They're guard-heavy. They have a relatively – we talked about their schedule being, you know, no – unranked or no ranked teams after december 19th and again once you get to the tournament you have guards and a deep roster and you you roll it out and see what happens um as i look at the rest of the top 10 i think it's funny that kentucky at 10 you're calling a homer take like how many years in the last 10 years we call a top 10 kentucky team just a homer take <laughs> but normally know? i will say this kentucky's not normally 10 kentucky's normally one two three right so oh, for them man. to be 10 life so Life's so hard. <laughs> um, I, I think it's interesting that Tech, you know, so about homers, Texas, Texas at 14. Um, Mac McClung, te guys. Te like, go check Mac out his McClung YouTube. Mac McClung 
go. He can go. <laughs> he, he gives That's Texas big... Tech the thing that they didn't have, which is the offensive guy who can initiate on his own. Like, he doesn't need right. to just run the offense. They had that a couple of years ago with Culver, and now they got it right. again with McClung. Well, and McClung has proven to be that guy. He also uh, he's a fun, fun watch on YouTube. I was surprised he transferred out of Georgetown, but Beard is a magician, so we'll see what they – I could see them making a run of this thing too just because, like you're saying, a couple years ago – Beard had Culver and that defense, and they went pretty far. You know, if McClung, McClung may not be a top whatever pick like Culver was, but he is, like you're saying, offensively a guy you can run it through. And so if that's what they end up doing, don't look. I mean, they can make a big run too. The Big 12 looks like it's Baylor's to lose, but, you know, Tech is Tech, and Beard's got a program building. Or and, hey, a Kansas, don't, we're not going to ignore Kansas because <laughs> Kansas has I won mean, the conference every year, so we're not, we're not going to ignore them either. Right. We're, we are history teachers. We can't just completely ignore them. It's just more fun to talk about what else could happen. So. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings. We're recording this a couple hours before this game kicks off, but our thesis has to do with a, I'll say, funny NFL story for this weekend. Uh, the thesis reads, the Denver Broncos should have been made to forfeit their game versus the New Orleans Saints. Uh, before we get into why that is, what do you grade that thesis as? So there's a part of me that's like, yes. They should have been made to forfeit. There's also a part of it's like you can't forfeit, so AF will settle at a C. How do you feel about it, Mr. Ainsworth? <laughs> I'm also in a similar boat, but I have a few more A reasons than F reasons, so I'm going to go at like a B. Um, but it's a funny story, so let's get into it. You are the easiest grader ever. Everyone's getting Bs in Mr. Ainsworth's <laughs> class. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings, you had some AF reasons for this. In classic Mr. Cummings seesaw fashion, settle at a C. So talk to us about... <laughs> First of all, set up the scenario. Why are we even talking about the Denver Broncos having to forfeit? Okay, so the Broncos are in a situation. Jeff Driscoll, who is one of the quarterbacks who's played for them this year, tested positive for COVID on Thursday. The quarterback room at the Denver Broncos facility is not one where everyone in the room was wearing masks. Therefore, you have <laughs> Jeff Driscoll has COVID, all of the other quarterbacks are close contacts. So Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, Blake Bortles are all deemed ineligible because of close contacts to someone who was tested positive for COVID. So none of them can play today, Sunday. It's Sunday. We're recording right now. It's about 2.30. So they're about to kick a game off in an hour and a half. And... Those are the four quarterbacks. Yeah, none of them can play. Those are the four quarterbacks on four, the roster. Four, four quarterbacks, by the way. Most teams don't carry four. They Most teams don't carry four. They're carrying four because it's 2020, and they're all ineligible. And let me just say, if you are not wearing masks in your quarterback room, <laughs> you're going to be now. Like You're going to get the best <laughs> ventilation possible. Them dudes are going to be sitting in corners 20 feet away from each other. This is not going to happen to another NFL team. It's 2020. Use Zoom. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, is, it is nuts. So the Denver Broncos have no quarterbacks that are eligible to play. So uh, they basically were in a situation where the first solution – in their mind, was to ask the NFL to move the game from Sunday to Tuesday. The NFL declined. The NFL's already moved one game that was supposed to be played on Thanksgiving. So the Steelers were right. supposed to play the Ravens. They moved that game from Thanksgiving to Sunday, then had to move that game from Sunday to Tuesday because of the Ravens' COVID situation. So then the second thing that the Broncos did, they asked if their quality control coach, Rob Calabrese, 
could play quarterback for them this Sunday. So now Rob Calabrese, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I feel like you've done the research. With the, <laughs> you're the Rob Calabrese expert. And I also think it's funny that the Baltimore Ravens have one quarterback get COVID. It's their starting quarterback, Lamar Jackson, you know, MVP, <laughs> very, very important player. But they say, can we move our game? The NFL is like, sure. And then the entire quarterback room in Denver is like, can we move our game? The NFL is like, nah. <laughs> so they may have already graded this thesis. But I, what I will say is I look at this and Rob Calabrese um, was a three-year quarterback at UCF. Uh, can we make sure that we shout out Long Island? Because he's from uh, Islip, he East Islip High School. So uh, shout out New York. <laughs> um, and then he gets injured. He misses the 2011 season. The 2011 season, a uh, guy comes in by the name of Blake Bortles, who starts at quarterback for UCF and has a very good three years there. Now, I will say, as I look at UCF, that his last snaps, Calabrese's were, uh, his last snaps were at receiver. He also, it looked like, did a little bit of like, Run like running on jet sweeps and that kind of stuff because he got some good rushing yards added in here too, um, and he made a tackle. I'm assuming on special teams as I look at his college stats. And so uh, what hold I'm on, think- that could have been a pick that he threw too. So keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> what was his receiver year? He made a tackle. So okay, I, but, um, but someone threw a pick or he was on special teams. <laughs> but he is clearly athletic. If he graduated college in 2012, he's around. 30-ish years old, right? So he's not super old. I just think it's funny that a guy whose last collegiate snaps away at receiver was denied the ability to come play quarterback. And so what did the Denver Broncos do? Go get another guy who was listed as a receiver in Kendall Hinton. <laughs> I guess Kendall Hinton at least played quarterback more years. And more recently. More recently, and right? more recently. More recently. Um, anyway, it's just funny that that's where they went for their moves. I, I don't know what the right move here was for them, but I, I think I give this a B and not a C or an F or whatever, because at the end of the day, this feels fairly self-inflicted. Not that COVID is self-inflicted by any stretch. I don't mean to say that like Jeff Driscoll went out and licked the wrong telephone pole and got it. What I do mean <laughs> is that they're all quarantining because they sat in a room together without masks on during their meetings. And that's clearly like, that's just a tough break, man. Like, why would you do that to yourself? And so I don't feel that bad for them because they had an entire room, position room, not follow basic protocols and get sent home. That's, that seems like, a as two teachers here, that seems like a natural consequence for bad <laughs> That's such a weird deal, too, because you know the quarterback room has to be big enough that they could have social distanced and been of six Of all feet the apart. rooms, of all the rooms, you have the least amount of players the most amount of space, and undoubtedly, we all understand football, that's the biggest impact for any one person on a team. You want to keep as many of them spread out as possible. Uh, you could argue that like the offensive line position group may as a group have more impact or, or whatever, but I will sit here and tell you that as far as one person goes, there's no one person on a football team that has a bigger impact than a quarterback. And they're going to sit there and watch this play out where they have to suit up you know, a former collegiate receiver and asked to suit up a quality control coach. They right? almost suited coach. up their quality control coach. Not even a quarterback coach. So uh, anyway. Well, that's... how old is the Broncos quarterback coach? He's probably like 70. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> look, Calabrese's young enough that his back's still good. So like, he could go out there and take a hit. Um, you know, the, Do you know the weird connection is that Blake Bortles plays for the Broncos. So I guarantee He's... you Bortles went to these guys and said, hey, listen – 
if we have to put someone in, Calabrese is at least representative. Like, you can put him out there, right. and this is stuff that he could do. And so that's probably why the Broncos went there first. Well, I, I hope he didn't go up and say that in person without a mask on, because that seems to be what they do in the quarterback room. And I hope he at least said <laughs> over the phone. But. It was definitely Zoom. Let's hope. Um, uh, now, Kendall Hinton, I remember him a little bit at Wake Forest. He's an athlete who plays quarterback. So, like, it's going to be hard for them – don't listen. Don't pick any Denver receivers for your fantasy team. It's gonna be hard for them to figure out a way to pass the ball. It'll but be some do, gimmick stuff. Do go get that that New Orleans Saints defense because that'll be fun. Well, you you'd actually go get Kendall Hinton if they'll let you play him at receiver because then he'll get the quarterback <laughs> stats. He'll run a little bit anyway. Um, I did that last week with Taysom Hill, but I digress. Um, <laughs> let me say this. So the A stuff for making the Broncos forfeit is the natural consequence piece that you pointed out in my mind, right? Which is you guys didn't follow protocols, so if they make you forfeit, I'm kind of fine with that. The reality is you have enough players to play, and I don't want to punish New Orleans. So New Orleans needs to play a game, right? I mean, in this COVID 2020, you don't even know that you're guaranteed to get them. So if you got it, play it. Now, I say that, and then, you know, some crazy injury could happen, and New Orleans would be like, man, we should have just not even showed up for this thing. But it's you're being, you're being paid to play. You've already made the decision that the money is more important than player safety anyway. So don't talk to me about player safety pieces. <laughs> I mean, you're letting you, – rather than allowing the Broncos to move this game to Tuesday so that they could be better prepared with a quarterback in terms of player safety – you said, no, you got to play the game. And so now they're looking at pulling an assistant coach in. And you're like, no, that's crazy. So now we got to pull a wide receiver off our practice squad. Like, So the player safety pieces are anywhere. Well, and I will say it also came out earlier this year when they're talking about, you know, when the Tennessee Titans get hit by this hardest, earliest. They were talking about, you know, canceling a game would mean because of loss of revenue, canceling game checks for both teams. And so New Orleans is not going to get punished over this. They haven't necessarily done everything wrong anything like right or wrong here but they don't have their quarterback room with a bunch of guys without masks on going home all of a sudden and so their quarterback plays tight end the quarterback sits in the tight end room like normally so (laughs) can we take this to the logical place that it needs to be taken if you are the denver broncos okay you are so desperate because you have no quarterbacks so you have four in your roster none of them can play you're so desperate that you're asking for your quality control coach who hasn't played college football since 2012. I don't know what his NFL career was. Like, it, did he have an NFL career? Did he play? No, I don't believe so. Okay, okay. So, and now you're pulling a wide receiver who's never thrown a pass in the NFL, even in practice, because he's a practice squad wide receiver. You're pulling that dude in to play quarterback, okay? Can we go to the obvious place? What is going on with the NFL and their blackballing of Colin Kaepernick? Because if Colin Kaepernick can't get a look in this situation, like, can we just all agree that the NFL colluded to blackball this man? They're pulling the quality control coach who never played in the NFL and bagging the NFL to let him play. And then when the NFL says no, they're going to pull a wide receiver who's never thrown an NFL pass to come in and play. Now, if you want to talk about, well, don't sign Kaepernick because he hasn't played in forever years, Okay, these guys never threw balls in the NFL at all. And somehow they're a better option than Kaepernick? No, I I completely agree. I had the same thought when, so when their quarterback room got emptied uh, the other day, I was like, ooh, man, are we about to see it happen? Because 
we talked about it feels like months ago now, but like that this could be the year when he gets picked up back when Cam Newton was also not picked up in the, like late summer about like, if you're those guys, do you wait for this inevitability to happen where a team loses their starting quarterback, like the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, right? And so like, do you do something there? And it continues to, the case continues to be that teams just go with backups or I guess you could see and say that the quality control coach knows the offense, but those guys. <laughs> I don't know how much they know the offense. The quality I, control coach knows how to tell guys to get back. That's what the quality control coach right, does. And like hustle footballs and like get the PowerPoints set up. Like I, I just, I don't have <laughs> a lot of faith in that, but I think that that decision got made by the NFL a while back at this point. And so like, as I sit here and saw that whole room, and I was like, oh man, that'd be the perfect place or perfect time or whatever. It's clear the decision has been made. There's an opportunity <laughs> to bring Kaepernick in and to actually benefit from the marketing pieces of bringing him in. And the fact that the NFL can't see that is nuts to me. And in this situation, where literally you are pulling in the quality control coach who, oh my God, anyway. The, and the- <laughs> I will say... It would be interesting to see that happening talking about marketing in the Denver market or the Baltimore market or wherever that would work out where they don't have a quarterback this week. I don't know what the answer is, but if he can't get asked to play for a team that has literally no one in their quarterback room, I don't know when it's ever going to happen. This was the team that was willing to draft Tebow in the first round. And they won't, they won't, bring, they're afraid, they'd be scared to death the Kaepernick would come in and throw three touchdowns and Jerry Judy would be like, Rudolph, we gotta, we gotta keep this guy. They'd be scared to death. John yeah. Elway would, like, there's, I don't even know what do you do. There's one big difference in Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. So now we uh, we're talking off pod. I know that Mr. Ainsworth has a wonderful joke, so I'm just waiting for it. I have to give a last minute attention to Vanderbilt in the middle of our podcast because after we gold star and talk about how great Sarah Fuller and that whole story was, while we've been sitting recording, they fired their head football coach. What is that? What what are you doing? Poor Derek Mason. Derek Mason, like, that's the highs and lows of coaching college football right there, right? Mr. Ainsworth, you want to go ahead and give folks your socials. They can talk to you all about Sarah Fuller and Derek Mason for that matter. Yeah, you can find me at Painsworth512, that's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to let me know about how right or wrong we are about the differences in Kaepernick and Tebow. But you can also find me (laughs) on our show's Twitter, that's at FNSports2, F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word on Twitter. Shaka, we got Instagram too. Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on my social media, both Twitter and Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. We just told that Derek Mason joke and it's like, you know who that's not funny to? Derek Mason, who now has to go <laughs> find a job. Um, thank you guys for listening. Please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't fuck with us. Later, guys.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.